Welcome to the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. But, uh, man, am I excited this morning. One, just because I haven't seen y'all in a while uh, because of the weather, but uh, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, and I believe that to be true because... I love you all, I missed you all, and I'm glad that you are here this morning. Amen. I want to share with you um, just a couple thoughts on my heart as I get into this message. Um, you know, there's a little bit of an overwhelming feeling that, you know, a year ago, there wasn't a, a church in this building. There had always been a church at this location, but the previous uh, people that owned the property, um, because of COVID and the age of their congregation, had stopped meeting and so the building had set uh, empty for months and months and months, and several people tried to purchase it. Um, most of them wanted to put in a bar or like some type of distillery, um, which is very odd to me because Jesus is watching right outside uh, on that window. But nonetheless, I mean, you can't leave the building without seeing the stained glass Jesus. Uh, but, but the church didn't want to sell to them, and, uh, you know, and so as we were looking to find a property in Warren to, to plant this church, we were able to, to acquire it, and, and you've seen the pictures of the renovation and just all the incredible things that uh, many of you participated in to help uh, make this place a place that we could gather to worship Jesus together. And so uh, I'm just, I'm excited this morning because in one year's time, God has done so many incredible things. Uh, you know, our, our launch team consisted of about 18 adults and about six children. So if you, if you take each child at half, uh, we really launched the church with about 22 people on the team. And what I want to do real quick is if you were part, uh, and if you're here this morning, if you were part of that original uh, launch team that, that met, that, that, you know, got worship going, prayed, and, and, you know, when we ripped the carpet up, all the, all the uh, subfloors got prayers written all over it from some of our prayer nights and just gatherings as we were just dreaming and sharing what God was, was planning and putting on our hearts. So if, if you were part of that original launch team from a year ago, uh, and you're here this morning, hopefully you haven't left, but if you're here this morning, uh, can you just go ahead and uh, stand up, lift your hand up? We just want to recognize you, and I just want to say thank you this morning. A lot of them are downstairs and kids, um, but honestly, we, we could never have done it without you and those that came right after, just uh, you, you bringing your gift, your best to the table and helping us launch this church. It's not, a, it's not built on one pastor or one family or, or even one church name. It's built on the collective, and so I'm honored to, to get to be the campus pastor over this location. Um, you know, we, we don't just have a church. No healthy, sustainable church is built on just a person. It's built on the people, the volunteers, the ministry, uh, uh, opportunities, the outreaches. It only moves forward when people catch the burden and the vision for what God is wanting to do, and they invest to make it happen. And I'm honored to stand up here and say, you are a people who have invested to make the vision happen. You know, I grew up here. I'm from Warren. I'm a byproduct of this town, this city. I grew up in Champion, graduated class of 05. Football team went 0-10 that year, right? All we had was the band. And the bowling team, you're welcome. That's right. That's right. Got that letter in bowling. That did not take me anywhere. <laughs> they, don't, they don't give scholarships to Bible college for bowling. It's just so... 
But God called us here. Uh, we were in Indianapolis and God called us back to the city uh, where I grew up. My wife is from Ravenna, uh, so not f- too far away. And, and we just got a burden for this area. And when we launched the church, we kind of had three things in mind that we wanted to create at this location. Uh, the first of which is we wanted to love people, no strings attached. The second is we wanted to provide a place for people to encounter the presence of God. And the third thing is, is we wanted to help people build meaningful relationships with one another. That was kind of our heart in a simplified way. We, we wanted to get into the community and we wanted to love them, no strings attached, no bait or switch, no, I'll only help you if you come to my church. That was not our heart. We just wanted to bless people where we could with the resources we had. We wanted to create an opportunity on Sundays and on and our prayer nights where people could come and encounter a real God. Not some God that they heard about or some God of a book we call the Bible, but a living God who can impact and empower them and transform their life. And we just wanted to hang out with people. We wanted to have fun, laugh together, cry together, share in each other's victories, pray with each other through our, our, our missteps, even our failures or, or the, the curveballs of life. That was our heart. And I'm excited because we're starting to accomplish those things. We're starting to see the fruit of loving on our city. We're starting to have encounters with the presence of God. And as we get to know one another better, we're starting to make and deepen those meaningful relationships. That's still our heartbeat. That's still what you're going to hear me talk about on a regular basis around here. We're going to continue to beat that drum of what uh, God laid and burdened our heart with that we could be to the city of Warren. Amen. You know, a year ago, we were renovating a church. We were hosting prayer meetings. Many of the worship team that, that you see today uh, didn't start on a worship team until we got ready to launch the church. And so it was brand, everything was brand new, and it was wonderful. And now we're a year in, and it's still wonderful because the honeymoon isn't over yet. <laughs> and I can still remember that first service just being in awe of what God did. We uh, eliminated the confetti this morning, one, because it's, when you let it off, it sounds like gunshots and we're in, sit- in the city. And you never know. But two, it's just impossible to clean up, and uh, it's full of Satan, so we didn't do it. <laughs> But following service for you, we do have uh, cupcakes out there for you. And the Traveler's uh, Coffee uh, Trailer Company is set up right in our driveway. It is all taken care of. Go get some coffee, get a specialty drink. Hide the fact that coffee is in it because that's the only way you should drink dirty bean water. Uh, But nonetheless... Help yourselves out there. We tried to think of something that we could do that fit the weather. Like over Easter, we had the Kona ice truck come, and you would think Easter being in April, it would be warm. But if you remember Easter, it was like 30 degrees out, and we were all huddled together eating slushies. Like, so I opted for the coffee uh, this time. So enjoy that. It's great. Um, So Take some cupcakes, please, because I got to lose some weight. And if you leave them here with me, I will eat them in the middle of the night when everybody's asleep, okay? But before I share this message with you, I want to just give you a couple uh, things that God has done around here. In the last year, we have seen dozens of people come to know Christ. We've, we've had reports of marriages being uh, restored and strengthened. We've served over 450 meals into the community. 
right? We handed out over 2,000 invite cards uh, at various outreaches. Um, We just did the Christmas uh, uh, on the square outreach where we handed out Christmas cookie kits to kids. Over 600 of those went out. We did the Cortland Street Fair where we did free animal balloons, which that was fantastic. Uh, We handed out over 850 of those. Uh, We baptized five people over the summer. We renovated our garage out there into a cafe that now we have a space that we can hang out before or after service when the weather cooperates. We've been able to provide thousands of dollars in compassion funds uh, to some of the neediest people of our city. We even were able to help a couple who had been in poverty for five or, or more years get off the streets and thanks to the generosity of some people that attend this campus, get into an apartment. Amen. You could celebrate that this morning. That's big stuff. That's not us. That's Jesus at work. That's Jesus, that's God moving the hearts of people to uh, something bigger than themselves. And as I was reflecting this morning, and and as I was writing this message, and kind of reminiscing over the last year, this thought came to my mind. You never forget your firsts. You never forget your firsts. Because your firsts act as a foundation that you can build upon, I want to just remind us of some firsts this morning, and I'm not talking about your wedding night, okay? Uh, (laughs) That's right. Some of you went there. I know you did. Because when I wrote that down, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can say that, but I did it anyways. Facebook, you know. So some firsts that I want to, that are kind of usually imprinted. I'm sure if we pulled the room and I had you raise your hand, you would probably be able to remember or identify with these moments. I want you to think about the first time you rode a bike without training wheels, right? And that feeling and that exhilaration of, oh my gosh, I'm out here doing it. No one's holding me and I haven't fallen over yet or crashed into anything. I remember the first time I learned to ride a bike, it was in my neighbor's uh, driveway and I crashed this bike into the back of their truck and hit their toe ball with my shin. And I still have a scar there. Or the first time you drove a car, got that license, and I will tell you, in high school, I was voted uh, worst driver, Uh, and still might be, according if you ask my mom, who does not enjoy riding in the car with me, Uh, neither does my wife, actually. I don't know if it's them or me, but I'll let you decide. And so, uh, you know, that first winter getting my license, now, to my defense, uh, I got my license in the middle of an Ohio winter, and the first car that I was given was a 1995 rear-wheel drive Ford Mustang. So that's a recipe for a 17-year-old Andrew to speed and slide into a ditch several times, even backing out of my own driveway, just right into the ditch. I've been towed out of more ditches than you can imagine. I want you to think back about that first date, maybe the first time you held hands or that hug or that kiss or that first dance. Maybe your first breakup where you have that feeling of your heart being ripped out. What about that first time you said, I love you and you really meant it? Not this whole, I've known you for eight minutes, but I love you version of what kids do nowadays. I want you to think back about your first job. I worked for my mom at our restaurant in Champion. It's the only job I've ever been fired from. (laughs) You can't fire family, though. You just go right back to work the next day. You can't fire family. What about that first place out on your own? Mine was an apartment in Kentucky. 
It was fantastic. What about the first time you, you held your child after it was delivered? Or that moment that they walked for the first time or said their first words? And honestly, we could go on and on. Our lives, if we really begin to think about them, are comprised of a lot of firsts, right? Because those firsts become the building block for what we're going to create with our lives, right? That's why they're so significant. That's why we can remember them so vividly, because prior to those firsts, they didn't exist. They are the beginnings of what's to come. They are the floor of what can be. Your your first signifies your potential. But I wonder how many of us have settled for the success of their firsts and never advanced to what could become. See, don't allow your floor to become your ceiling. It's to serve as a building block for what God is going to do next. And it's okay to celebrate it in the moment. And today, we are celebrating that a year ago, we launched a church in downtown Warren coming out of a pandemic in a city that is declining in an area where people are like, you're crazy. Why would you do this? And my response to them is because God told me to do it. That's what we're celebrating today. But can I be honest with you? I won't live in the success of 2022 post-launch because there's so much more that God has in store, not just for me, for my family, not just for this campus at Rock of Grace Warren, but for you individually. And we want those firsts, those moments where God showed up to become the thing that we then build upon so that we can go to the heights that God has called us to. Amen? See, your firsts set the tone for what you want to become. See, each one of us has the potential to grow into something more, right? You know, I used to use that word potential a lot in youth ministry because what you're trying to do when you're working with teenagers is you're trying to pull out of them the possibilities of what God can do through them. And so you use words like potential, right? And I remember this one student in particular who we had said that over and over and over again to. You have so much potential. God could do so much in and through your life. But they were so, their, their mind was so distorted by what they saw in front of them that they stopped me and said, will you stop talking about my potential? God can't do anything with me. God's done with me. God's mad at me. And I had to, as I was fighting back tears to remind this teenage boy, God's never done with you. God's not mad at you. And this is just the beginnings of what God can do through you if you'll give your life over to him. See, potential is the thing that resides on the inside of us that the Holy Spirit is trying to pull out of us that we might become something effective in the hand of God. Amen? And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to focus on two stories from Scripture. They both come from the book of John, and we're going to look at Jesus' first miracle and the significance of his first, right? And then we're going to look at a story about a man who experienced something of a first that he had never had before. So John, chapter 2, if you have your Bibles this morning. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the ESV version. You'll see it on the screen. It says that on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. It says that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. It says that when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. She was apparently a little upset about it. And Jesus said to her, woman, 
I don't ever recommend you saying that to your mom. But woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And it says that they filled them to the brim. It says that, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. It says that, so they took it. It says, when the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, it says the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, right? Falling on a budget. It says, but you have kept the good wine until now. It says that this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. What an interesting way to step onto the ministry field for Jesus. Up until this point, we don't have anything recorded that Jesus did from a ministry standpoint. Um, uh, for, or I guess I should say this way, from a miraculous miracle signs and wonders standpoint. He's at this wedding with his mom. Now, some scholars will believe that the reason that Jesus was at this wedding is because it was John's wedding. And so Jesus would have been an invited guest because Jesus and John would have been cousins. Others believe that Jesus, because he was becoming known in, in in the surrounding areas, was an honored guest and in doing so felt as though he needed to bring something with him. And so he performs this miracle. The real reason that Jesus was there is really of no consequence to us this morning. It's the thing that Jesus chose to do to illustrate something to us. See, I want you to think this morning of the most amazing thing that God has ever done in your life. Maybe it was a healing. Maybe it was the moment you got saved or baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was when that loved one came back to faith or that prayer that you had been seeking God for got answered. Can I just tell you that no matter how great that moment was in your life, that is just the floor and not the ceiling of what God's going to do. So some things from this story that I want us to see. See, weddings back then, they knew how to party, okay, back then. It wasn't like you had a wedding, took some photos, everybody got grumpy during the photos because you didn't provide enough appetizers to fill their bellies, and so they were waiting for the meal. Weddings back then lasted seven days, right? They got their party on for seven days, okay? Uh, Or I should say up to seven days. And the food and wine that was provided came from the bride and the groom's family, and it would uh, flow freely. And so to run out of wine or even food, communicated thoughtlessness, or that your family didn't have the means and was impoverished, that they, they, they couldn't take care of the guests. And in doing so, it would have brought the family shame. So Mary approaches Jesus and asks him to intervene. This is the story how we can answer the question from the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? There we go. Took a minute. It's okay. It's New Year. She knew. She knew all along, right? That song's just one big guessing game, but she knew. Of course she knew. So he tells his mom, woman, right? Woman, what does this have to do with me? 
Why are you bothering me with this need? And Jesus is like, my time hasn't come yet. And Mary's like, look, just do whatever he tells you to do. And so Jesus, knowing the heart of his mom, looks at those servants and says, hey, look, I see that there's six large jars over there. You know that they hold 20 to 30 gallons each. I want you to fill them. And so they filled them up. And then he wants you to take them to the master of the party. And in the process that, of this happening, that water that they filled those jars with turns to wine. Right? In verse 11, repeat, it says that in, this is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana, in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory. And I love that it says that his disciples believed in him. See, when the display of God is brought to the forefront of our Christian experience, people who witness it can't help but believe in it. And so we want to be a people that display the move and the miraculous of God through our lives because when the onlooker looks at it, they can't rationalize it, but something resonates on the inside of them and says, this must be bigger than what I can comprehend intellectually. And so I'm going to put my faith, hope, and trust in it because everything else hasn't worked out for me. So this has to be right. Does that make sense this morning? It says that he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You could almost replace verse 11 with the phrase, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? Because this is the beginnings of Jesus' ministry into the area. See, from that moment, over the next three and a half years, Jesus would go on to perform 37 recorded miracles throughout the gospel. Now, we do know that the ending of John would indicate that there was so much more that Jesus did that there wasn't even room or scrolls big enough to write it all down. But for the purposes of this conversation this morning, what we know from the Gospels is that there was 37 recorded instances where God did something supernatural, okay? And what I want you to do is I want to bring your attention this morning as we move on from the wedding at Cana where Jesus steps to the forefront of what would become a three and a half year ministry all around the surrounding communities and area where many people would put their faith and trust in him. I want to bring you to another story out of the book of John where we discover a first in somebody's life that really wasn't looking for it. I want you to flip over a couple pages to John chapter 9. It's an interesting story. John chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, it says that as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Everybody say birth. There we go. It says that his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Verse 3 says that Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4 says that we, must, uh, that we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6 says that when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Interesting. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent. It says that so he, sent, uh, so he went away and washed and came back seeing. I would want to wash my eyes too if somebody spit and made a uh, mud pie in them. 
Verse 8 says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Verse 9 says, Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Verse 10 says, So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? Verse 11 says, He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. Verse 12 said, uh, says, they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know where he went. So in this story, we have a man who is born blind from birth, right? Never seen anything. His disciples, still trying to figure out how things work, are wondering, did he sin? Did his parents sin? Why would he be born blind? And Jesus corrects them, and their thinking is, this has nothing to do with sin. This is not God's punishment. This is not God's judgment on them, but rather, this is so that I might display my glory to you. See, all this man had ever known was darkness, was blindness his entire life was created around the fact that he cannot see. I wonder how many people in life have created a a life around managing their issue rather than ever dealing with their issue. You know, because if you're born blind, you grow up only knowing how to do things one way. And it's not the way that everybody else is doing things. It's the way that works best for you. And so what you become is somebody who learns to manage their situation because you have to adapt consistently if you're going to function in society. He's blind. He can't see. He can't have the life that those around him. He can't have the life that his family has or his friends have or or anybody else out in the community because he can't see what he's to do. And so his life is kind of comprised of a few things. He's begging for money because that's all he can do. And I wonder in our lives how many of us we've created this life built around managing our issue rather than ever dealing with it. And it's caused us to fall short of what God intended our life to look like. See, the man learned to live with his blindness. It was part of his identity. He was known for being the blind man. He was known for being the beggar because at that point, what else could he do? He was blind. And listen, in those days, the quality of life would not have been great. Most of the people would have assumed that his blindness was a result of his sin or his family's sin. And that because he was born blind, it would have indicated that it was God's judgment on him. That's why the disciples asked that question. Now listen, all indications from the text would tell us that this man wasn't pursuing Jesus for a healing, but rather it was because Jesus was passing by and happened to take notice of this man's issue. See, it's not like the woman with the issue of blood that we read about in other parts of the Gospels, who had heard that Jesus was coming through her town and took matters into her own hands. This man was just simply living his life, dealing with his problem, With his blindness, probably hopeless, probably down and out, probably resigned to accepting that this is all my life will ever be. Yet, as Jesus intersects with this man, Jesus spits 
on the ground. Now, I don't know why he spit. I don't know why that was the method that Jesus chose to, to minister to this man. If Please don't ever come to me after spitting and making some mud pies and try to put them on me. I'm not going to receive that well. Now, if it was Jesus that did it, okay. But if you come to me, I'm not, it's not going to go well. And so he makes some clay. He rubs it in this man's eyes and he instructs him to go wash. There was an obedience that was necessary for this healing. And he goes and he washes and he can see. Now, what I want to tell you this morning is at this point in Jesus' ministry, this is miracle number 26. If you look at the, the, the move or the miraculous, the signs and wonders of Jesus in a chronological way, this would be number 26. But for this blind man who had lived his life this way, this was a first that changed everything. So for Jesus, it was number 26. It was just another day. It was just another thing that he had grown accustomed to doing out amongst the people from place to place and city to city where he traveled. But for this man, at this moment in time and in history, everything changed. It was a first that he could never forget and would never forget. Because up until this point, he had no comprehension of what sight looked like. And sometimes where the Bible leaves out a little bit of, of, of thought, you can begin to picture or fill in. How would you have felt had you never seen anything, only then to be touched by a man named Jesus, then told to go wash in a pool, and then all of a sudden be able to see? The overwhelming sense of, oh my gosh, what am I experiencing right now? The colors, the beauty, this is what that sound that I kept hearing looks like. Right? This is what this is. This is, this is what I'm wearing. Who dressed me in this? Right? My uh, Monica's grandma, uh, a few years back, lost her eyesight. And she's in her, she's in her early 90s. And I like to joke around with her. <laughs> I, well, I know, it's terrible, right? But nonetheless, I, tr I tell her every time I see her, I say, Grandma, who dressed you in this pink, ugly sweater like this? And she says, I'll stop it. But then I find her asking, did somebody put me in some ugly clothes? <laughs> and they don't. But think about it. He had never seen before. So he's taking all of this in in that moment. There's this feeling of excitement. There's probably this question of how did this all happen? I woke up this morning. I went about my life as I normally did. I had resigned myself to being the beggar that people either walked past, talked about, or maybe occasionally gave some money to so that I could survive. Right? I've been a shame to my family because people believed that this was God's judgment on us because of some sin that either I committed or lived in my family line somewhere and that God was judging me. This was his life, and then Jesus intersects with it, and everything begins to change. See, too often, we become a byproduct of the thing that plagues us. Whether it's by a sin we can't escape, a generational curse that's lived in our family line, a failure, a shortcoming, uh, the marriage that didn't work out, the relationship that's on the rocks, our lot in life, our financial situation, whatever it looks like, sometimes if we're not careful and we don't use the lens of faith to see beyond our current situation, we become a byproduct of that situation, convincing ourselves that this is all it can ever be. 
But each day, just like this blind man in our story, our lives have the opportunity to interact with the person of Jesus. Listen, we're going to close this morning. If, if Elena and Jeremiah, you want to come. Listen, I want you to understand that Jesus wants to invade you and your life, your family's life. He wants to speak to you, heal you, love on you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to save you. He wants to set you free. He wants to heal you. That's who he is. That's his nature. And in a moment, we're going to close out this service. We're going to celebrate our birthday but I would, be, uh, I would not be a good pastor if I didn't give you the opportunity as you sit there this morning. Just like the blind man in our story, where for Jesus, this was just what he had grown accustomed to doing. But for this man, it was the very first opportunity for his life to be changed. And maybe you're sitting in this room this morning. I could invite you to just bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes. Maybe you're sitting in this room this morning. You say, you know what? There's not been an opportunity in my life for it to interact with the person that you've been talking about, this person of Jesus. I've never even heard that story, but there are things in my life that have attached themselves to me. There's been sins that I have committed or gone through. There's things that are holding me back. There are issues in my upbringing. There are problems in my fire. There's all of these things that are plaguing my life, and I just need to find someone who can take them away, who can help me, who can lift me up, who can save me, who can encourage me, who can place my feet upon a better foundation. And I tell you this morning that that's Jesus. That's why he came. The Bible says that he came to seek and save that which is lost. So if you're in this place this morning and you're sitting there and you're wondering, Pastor Eddie, what can I do? I want to invite you this morning to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. So what I'm going to do, is I'm going to give you a moment to consider it, and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that together we can pray and you can make that confession of faith. So I want you to take a moment. I just want you to think, is this the moment, is this the time where I need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life? I need to lay my life down that I may pick up his life for me that I don't have to be known by my issue, and that I don't have to uh, become a byproduct of the thing that has been holding me back, but that I can have a first that builds a foundation that then I can grow upon and become what God created me to become. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand up. Nobody's looking around. This is the judgment-free place because at one point or other, we've all had to come to the realization that without Jesus, our life is on a trajectory that is not going anywhere good. So on the count of three, if that's you and you say, Pastor Andrew, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. On the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand up. One, two, three. If that's you this morning, I just want you to lift that hand up. I see that hand this morning. Anybody else? You say, Pastor Andrew, I want, to, I want to give my life to Jesus because he's probably far better at it than I am. Anybody else? I'll give you a few more seconds to make that decision. I see that hand. Anybody else? I mean, you can put your hands down. You can open your eyes this morning. Let's pray together, and then we're going to do one more thing before I let you out of here. But, Father, we love you this morning. If you raise your hand, let's, let's all do it together. Say, Jesus. 
come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash me and make me new. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my closest friend. I believe salvation is through you. Help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, here's the deal. If you prayed that prayer and you confessed it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you meant it in your heart, the Bible would indicate that that's what salvation looks like, that it's a faith walk. And now your name has been written in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life and that heaven is now your home and hell has nothing to do with your life. And so now the aim of your life is to walk that out as a first that would build a foundation in you becoming everything God created you to become. Amen? The second thing I want to do with you this morning, when you leave here today, other than the cupcake, other than some great coffee, you're going to get a whiteboard and a dry erase marker and an eraser. And what we want you to do is we want you to go home with whether it's by yourself or with your family or with your kids or whoever it's with, what we want you to do is we want you to pray and we want you to ask God, God, what is a first that I can believe you for in 2023? Maybe it's reading the Bible cover to cover in 2023. Maybe it's breaking a cycle of sin or a generational curse or even just a bad habit. Maybe it's improving your marriage or having that regular date night with your spouse. Maybe it's a miracle that you need, that you need God to heal you. Whatever it is, can I just tell you that Jesus is able? Listen, we shared this verse last week as kind of the bedrock of what we're believing God for in 2023. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Thou to, uh, uh, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Other translations say, imagine, according to the power at work within us. Can we just simplify that, that God is really big and can do a lot of awesome stuff? And so we want to believe for that this year. Whatever it is, believe God for it. what I want you to do is after you pray and write that out, I want you to put it somewhere in your house, in your kitchen, in your bathroom, hit yourself with it in the morning, whatever it takes to be reminded of it. But I want it to be somewhere where you'll see it regularly. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to take a picture of it. Because throughout the course of 2023, we want to, one, remind each other of this moment but also celebrate the moments when God does the thing we wrote down. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take a picture of it. I want you to post it to our Facebook page, Rock of Grace Morning Campus. And I want you to hashtag it, Believe23, so that we can compile them easy, so we can just search one hashtag and find them all. And so that we can come back to this moment as the year progresses and we can celebrate together. Because listen, 2022 was great. We launched a church, we launched a campus, we loved on our city, we saw salvation. God did an incredible thing. But can I tell you, that's not our ceiling. That's our floor. God has something even greater in store and we're coming to it open-handed and open-armed saying, we want everything you have for us. We're not gonna settle for table scraps when you've invited us to sit at a banquet table and eat with you. 
We want everything for our marriages, for our families, for our community, for our workplaces, for our finances. Why? Because you're a good God who can do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask, think, or imagine. And you take what the enemy meant for evil and you work it for good, right? And that you're a good God, who, good father who gives good gifts to his children. So that's where we put our trust in today, amen? Let me pray for you. Father, bless these people today. Go before them today. Lord, speak life to them today that whatever they write down would be a faith declaration, would be something that is brought back to their memory, their memory over and over and over again. That Lord, when it does come to pass like we're believing it will, we can then gather to celebrate as a family and say, look what my God did. And we'll always give you the glory for it. We love you today. We thank you for the honor of our first year. But Lord, we are eagerly and anticipatory about what you are going to do next because we can never exhaust you. We give you the glory today, Father, in Jesus' name. Church, you said? Amen. Will you celebrate Jesus today? If you enjoyed today's message, there are a couple things I would love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today by going to give.rockofgrace.org. And thanks again for joining us on the Rock of Grace Warren podcast.
Welcome to the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message.